to explore your word and seek to understand you better, seek to understand ourselves better, uh, and seek to understand the relationship between us and you as our Father. Uh, God, we ask that uh, every person here, they, they would be um, open to your word and that your word would, would drop into the soil of their heart and would take root and would grow and make them strong and turn them into the men and the women that you have designed each and every one of us to be. Father, we praise you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, on Father's Day, I wanted to start by asking all of the men in the congregation uh, whether you have heard of something called a man card. Anybody ever heard of a man card? Anybody know what that is? Okay. Anybody not, not heard of a man card? Okay, so a lot of people don't know. Okay, man card. So a man card is like an imaginary card that men carry, and it establishes to other men that you are, in fact, a real man. Um, as long as you follow the cultural norms of masculinity, you get to keep your, your man card. But if you, if you violate this imaginary code, which is called man code, if you violate or breach that code, um, then any other man in good standing has the right to revoke or suspend your man card. Um, depending on the degree to which you violated man code. So as I was preparing for today's Father's Day sermon, I thought, would it be helpful for us just to know as guys, um, you know, when we are violating man code, that way we will not have our man card revoked. So what I found was a list of the top ten ways to lose your man card. So guys... Just, just see if, you know, if you're breaching man code here. Number one, top ten ways to lose your man card, driving a minivan. Um, so half of our congregation, we've just revoked our man card. So I'm just going give, to give it up. Number two, driving a minivan while listening to Celine Dion. That's a double violation, apparently, of man code. Number three, having the guy at the auto parts store install the windshield wiper on your minivan while listening to Celine Dion. That's a triple violation of man card. It's a very long suspension. Number four, excessive hair gel. Number five, lower back tattoo. Number six, any display of emotion during a romantic comedy. Number seven, wearing a turtleneck. Number eight, ordering any drink that comes with an umbrella. Number nine, requesting mayo on the side. Number ten, watching any show that begins with the name The Real Housewives Of. So, um, <laughs> So, guys, I know some of us, we lost our, our, our man card around number three or two or one in my case. So, um, also I learned apparently this week that you can have your man card revoked by reading the assembly instructions on any piece of Ikea furniture. Um, so, I'm appealing that suspension of my man code. Um, you can remove that picture now. Thanks very much. Obviously, the list is, is meant to be funny, but it actually raises an interesting question uh, for, for men, young men, boys, and, and men, and that is, what does it mean to be a man in our society? What is masculinity for, for men? What does it look like? What is it supposed to look like? It, what is this, you know, is there some sort of, are we supposed to follow some arbitrary set of rules to discern and discover what it looks like to be a man? Uh, some social scientists have argued that our culture is actually facing a crisis of masculinity, a sort of meltdown in our understanding of what it means to be a man. Uh, one writer put it this way. He said, we're experiencing a male identity crisis in Western society. 
Boys are seriously underachieving, he says, in public schools. Men now comp uh, comprise barely 40% of enrolled university and college students. The recession of the past few years has hit men hard. 80% of the jobs lost during the 2008-2009 recession were held by men. In a postmodern world lacking clear-cut borders and distinctions, it has become increasingly difficult to know what it means to be a man. And he says, and even harder to feel good about being one, men are groping in the dark for their identity. And whether or not there's a male identity crisis, we do find that there are many young men in our society and in our communities um, that are struggling to try to understand what it looks like to live out their lives as a man. There's no clear-cut standard, uh, no obvious template to follow. Um, and so we have these various versions of what it means to be a man. One version of masculinity would say that to be a man is to be cold and stoic and emotionally unavailable. Uh, NYU professor Niobe Way called this version of masculinity, she called it the lone cowboy version of masculinity. And, and we all kind of have that idea in our mind of what that looks like. The lone cowboy, she says, is the, the, the cultural icon of masculinity in America, suggests that real men should be emotionally stoic and independent, they should not need or rely on others, and they should, under no circumstances, cry. So I would, I would, I would lose my man card almost every week. Um, you know, when a particularly emotional commercial comes on TV. Just, um, we repeat these expectations, she, she says, in our advertisements, our books, our movies, our television show, shows. She said, ask any teenage boy, and they will tell you the same thing. To be a man is to be emotionless. This is the sort of Chuck Norris version of masculinity. You know, when they say Chuck Norris, when he does push-ups, he's not actually pushing his body up. He's pushing the earth down. Um, <laughs> three guys thought that was hilarious, including me. Uh, the problem with this version of, of manhood is that in its most extreme incarnation, this expression of manhood becomes toxic and paralyzing to those who are trying to achieve it. The extreme version of this variety of masculinity becomes abusive, oppressive, dictatorial, cruel, and ultimately uncaring, violent, and abusive. This is not a viable expression of manhood. On the other hand, and perhaps in response to this overly uh, machoistic version of manhood, an alternative version of masculinity has arisen. And this is an, uh, an expression of masculinity that is defined by passivity, by apathy, by fearfulness, and by a lack of moral or personal conviction or direction. This is a listless version of masculinity that confines men and boys in a prison of indecision and anxiety. In the book Boys Adrift, author Leonard Sachs argues that there is a what he calls a growing epidemic of unmotivated boys and underachieving young men who are less resilient, less ambitious, and far less fulfilled than their fathers or their grandfathers were a generation or two ago. So the question then that we have on this Father's Day is that as men here, and I'm mainly addressing the men today, um, where do we go to get an understanding of what actual masculinity looks like? Where do we, where do we look to? What template do we look for to determine for ourselves how do we grow into being a man um, some of us had really good male role models in our lives but some of us did not 
And none of us had perfect fathers. All of us had fathers that were compromised in some way. And so how do we distinguish what characteristics to adopt and emulate as men and what characteristics should we reject? Well, I want to invite you today to join me in taking a closer look at what the ancient scriptures show us about manhood and about masculinity. And I'm going to invite you to explore with me this this topic that I'm calling the five immutable laws of manhood according to our father. Because what happens, if if you look closely at scripture, you start to see themes arise throughout the narratives, throughout the stories of the scripture that start to point in a direction of what real manhood looks like as described by our father. And it's not emotionless and it's not stoic. In fact, one of the greatest heroes in the, in the Bible, King David, was one of the most emotionally effusive um, people in the Bible also. Masculinity is, is not sort of these cut and dried um, categories in the scripture. In fact, the scriptures offer this beautiful, balanced, and powerful picture of what it means to be a man. So I want to invite you today, if you're here and you are not a follower of Jesus or you're considering being a follower of Jesus, but you're not quite there, you're peeking over the fence, I want to invite you just to look in and see if anything that the scriptures say about this topic resonates in your heart. And if you are a follower of Jesus and you are someone who is a Christian and saying, I want to be a follower of Jesus, then I want to encourage you, challenge you to grab a hold of these ideas and incorporate them into the very fiber of your soul and join me in trying to live them out. Um, so let's dive into the, to the, five, the five immutable laws. The very first one uh, is one I've summed up in two words. And the first one is bow down. Bow down. Now this is, this is counterintuitive. And this one immediately sort of grates against us. Um, The reason this is the first one is because it is the hardest one to do for men. The law of bow down grates against us in our very, very core. But what it means is that bow down, it means that we bend our knee and we acknowledge the authority, the greatness, the majesty, the grandeur of the God of the universe. That's where we begin to understand what it means to be a man. What it means to be masculine is to, is to bow down and surrender to our Father and for, to let Him be the Lord of our life and to let Him lead us and guide us and grow us into what He wants us to be, to be. Because before we can climb, we have to learn how to crawl. We know this, right? Before we can soar, we've got to learn how to seek. And before we can exercise our power, we have to find our place in prayer. Men, we have to begin by saying, I'm not God. That much I know. But God is God. And I'm going to begin to seek a relationship with him. I've got, I've got three little boys. And they're starting to reach that age where the very hardest thing for them to say is help me. Right? Because what they want to say is, I know. I already got this. I've got it, Dad. No, no, no. I know how to do it. And the problem is, I love my boys. They're wonderful. They are not as smart as they think they are. They're just not. Men, we sometimes are grown-up versions of them. Sometimes we are, I've got this. I can do this. Don't don't worry about me. Don't try to... And God is saying, look, I want to invite you into a relationship with me. I want to invite... I want to empower you. Bow down is not subjugation. It's empowerment. When we bow down before God, he empowers us with his strength and with his Holy Spirit to become the men that he's called us to be. And, and here's why this is so important. Because if, 
you have not experienced the greatness of your maker, you can't experience the fullness of your masculinity. Here's why. On earth, there is always men, somebody stronger, somebody richer, somebody better looking, somebody braver, somebody with a better job, somebody with a, a, a better life, a better house, a better car. There's always going to be somebody just more boss than you. That's just, that's just the, the reality. And when we don't have a relationship with God, then we often define ourselves in terms of our relationship via comparison with other people, with other men. And we find ourselves sometimes in subjugation to that uh, comparison. But what God is saying is if you bow down to the one who spoke the world into existence, if you bow down to the one who hung the stars, if you bow down to the one who lit the sun, who spins the world on its axis, you will find that he does not see you as inferior to somebody else. He sees you as his son. He sees you as his royal and regal son. The scripture says that he begins to see you and you begin to see yourself as having royal blood flowing through your veins. You'll begin to understand yourself if God is, that, that if you understand yourself in a relationship with God, that God is for you and so who can be against you? You'll begin to understand that no weapon formed against you can prosper. You'll begin to look at other men as your brothers and as your peers and as your friends. And if you take his word seriously, you will begin even to love your enemies. When we bow down to God, our lives become elevated. In fact, I would submit to you that it, it, that it is only when you obey this first immutable law, the law of bow down, that you can truly obey the second immutable law, which is stand up. Bow down, stand up. This week, I, I had the honor of traveling to Charleston, South Carolina. This, this week was the one-year anniversary of uh, the, the, the slaughter of nine people at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston. And so I gathered together with a group of other um, ministry leaders and pastors um, to honor the, the nine that were slain there um, and to pray uh, for our country and to pray um, that God would restore us and, and strengthen us. Um, and we also spent time praying for the 49 uh, people who were slain in Orlando this week, other children of God who were also killed senselessly. And, 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 and we came together to, to pray for our country and to pray for unity and to pray for peace and to pray for justice and for love. And what I found down there among the congregation, the survivors at Mother Emanuel Church, I found not a broken down group of people who were falling apart. What I found down there was so inspiring. I found a strong, resilient, God-fearing group of men and women who more than ever more than ever, we're committed to standing up for justice, standing up for peace, standing up against oppression, standing up against hatred, standing up against racism, standing up against fear, standing up against apathy, standing up against despair. It was this community of people who had been so traumatized, who came to truly understand that after being knocked down, and after being brought low, and after being hunted and haunted and hounded, they really learned what it means to stand up. To stand up. But standing up is not easy for any of us. Because standing up requires three 
things. It requires conviction, it requires courage, and it requires commitment. So many of you know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, the story of the fiery furnace. You know, you've learned it in Sunday school. This story, what I love about this story is you've got these three guys, and they're in this foreign land, they're in Babylon, and the, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, says, I'm going to erect this huge gold uh, statue, this huge gold idol, and I want to have everybody in Babylon come and bow down before this idol. And so tens of thousands of people, tens of thousands of people come out onto the plain of Dura on this huge, vast plain, and they come to gather around this huge idol, and the, the word comes out that when the music begins to play, everyone is to fall on their face, and they're to bow before this idol. And you've got these three teenage young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the trumpet begins to play, and the melody, uh, melody of the harp begins to play, and, and the flute begins to play, and tens of thousands of people across this plain fall on their face and begin to worship this idol. But there were three guys who stood up. Three guys who remained standing. And the story says that some men came and got those three boys and brought them before the king and the king said listen I have prepared a blazing furnace and if you do not bow down before this idol that I have erected I am going to throw you into this furnace and the flames are belching out of there and smoke and heat is coming out and they say we're not going to do it in fact I'm going to read you exactly what they said because this is one of the most young guys get this this is like one of the most masculine passages in the bible Here's what they say to the king. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Now that is a bold thing to say. But here's the part that I like even more. But even if he does not... Deliver us. We want you to know your majesty. I love a little respect, a little deference. We want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. And of course, in the story, we learn that they are thrown into the furnace and that God miraculously uh, saves them. But what, what it took in that moment for them to stand up was conviction, courage, and commitment. The conviction means that you acknowledge the difference between right and wrong and you decide to pursue the right with your life. That's conviction. Conviction says, I think there is a right and I'm going to pursue that right. Courage is that despite the fear and trepidation you may experience as a result of your conviction, you choose to walk forward in your conviction. That's a hard step in standing up. And commitment is the but even if part. God, I believe you're going to help me in this. I believe you're going to walk with me in this. But even if you don't do what I thought you were going to do, I'm still going to follow you. I'm still going to pursue my conviction. That's what it means to stand up. So let me ask you guys. And you guys, men, only you can answer this for you and only I can answer this for me. Where is God calling you to stand up in your life? Where is he calling you to stand up in your home, in your relationships, in your job, in your friendships, in your private moments, where is he calling you to stand up? And ask yourself this question. What is he asking you to stand up for? And what is he asking you to stand up against?
What is God calling you as a man to stand up for? And what is he calling you to stand up against? And if you're struggling to know the answer to those questions, I invite you to explore the third immutable law, and that is this. Lean in. Lean in. The smartest thing I ever did in my entire life was at around the age of 30, made the discovery that I'm not as smart as I thought I was. That's what I discovered. It took me 30 years to go, oh, wait. I'm not quite as brilliant as I thought I was. I might need some help from other people. I might need to lean in to the counsel of those who have been down a path before me. I might need to lean in to hear the discernment of somebody else who's walked down a path and who's had some experiences in their life. And at about the age of 30, I put a board of directors of, around myself. A group of men and women that love me, that love God, that were displaying wisdom in their own life. And I, and I called every single one of them and I said... I need you guys to help me make decisions because the decisions that I'm making are not leading me to the places that I want to go. And so I need to lean into your wisdom and I need to lean into your understanding and I need to lean into your experience. And I began to call them weekly with questions. What, what should I do about this? What should I do about that? And I didn't always follow every single piece of advice and I sometimes got con contradictory advice. But the value was that I got to hear the experience and I got to hear the wisdom and I got to hear the knowledge of people around me. This is wedding season right now. Um, a lot of people getting married right now. I've, I've performed about um, 75 weddings in the last three months. But, but what I'm so encouraged about, a lot of you guys are right here and some of you guys are getting married and, you know, it's awesome, is that there seems to be, and I don't know if this is new, but there just seems to be a movement of young people who are getting married who are coming and saying, we need some instruction. We want to open our ears and our heart. We've seen it done wrong and different with our friends and our families. And we've seen, we want to try to do this the right way. And I find that so incredibly encouraging because I feel like if you're leaning in, we can you can learn anything if you've got an open heart and open ears and you're willing to grow and you're willing to learn. So I want to congratulate all you. There's a bunch of you actually right here right now. Leaning in. If you really want to grow into the man that God wants you to be, man, do not shut yourself off from other men. Do not shut yourself off from other people who, who have been down the road before you. Proverbs 12 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 13, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs 15, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Proverbs 19, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom. 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Men, lean in. All of us, lean in to those around you. Do not isolate and alienate yourself from other men. That's, that's one of the flawed uh, requirements of the manhood code. You know, don't, don't be vulnerable. No, be vulnerable. Ask for help. Reach out for advice and lean in. Because... As we grow in wisdom, as we grow in knowledge, as we grow in understanding, the better equipped we become to obey number four, fourth immutable law, and that is reach out. Number four is reach out. So today there are 24 million children in America, one out of every three, 
that live in homes without fathers. We've got a lot of very brave single moms out there that are raising kids and going to school and working hard and taking their kids to practice and doing an amazing job. And we honor you and we salute you. And we know it's hard for you to do that on your own. We know the statistics. We've seen them. Uh, that children, when there's a father in the home, they do better academically. They do better behaviorally, psychologically, emotionally. Rate, uh, mortality rates drop. Uh, infant mortality rates drop. Incarceration rates drop. Child delinquency rates drop. Teen pregnancy rates drop. Child abuse rates drop. Drug abuse drops. Alcohol abuse drops. Obesity rates drop. Suicide rates drop. Homelessness rates drop. Poverty rates drop. School dropout rates drop. When there's a father in the home, when there's, when there's a model uh, of, 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 of godly masculinity in the home. But the problem is that so many of the young men in our communities don't know what it means to become a man because they've never been around one long enough to learn how to copy that man. And it is very hard to become something that you've never seen. Men copy, we copy what we see. And it becomes very, very hard for us to copy if we haven't seen. We need to, as men, if we're going to follow the, the immutable laws of manhood, we need to reach out to the young men in our community and in our cities and in our neighborhoods with the message that they are made in the image of God. That they are image bearers of God. That God is their true father. That he is the one who created them, the one who sustains them, the one who holds them, the one who loves them with an everlasting and unconditional love. And that they were made in his image to reflect his power, to reflect his authority, to reflect his dominion on the earth. We need to teach them that they were not made to just take part, that they were made to take over. That they were made to rule and reign, not with fear and intimidation, but with love and with power and with a sound mind. We need to reach out without judgment, without condemnation, and help to raise some of the young men in our communities that have no father, that have no model. Most of us here are familiar with the story of the prodigal son. And we all identify with somebody in that story. Very briefly, there's a son, and there's a father, and there's two sons. One son is a hardworking son that's faithful and reliable. The other son says, Dad, I want my inheritance, and I'm out of here. Takes his money, goes to a faraway land, spends it all on wine and women, and just blows his money, and has a great time, runs out of cash, um, and cannot return home, totally mortified, totally embarrassed, ashamed of himself, gets a job working for somebody uh, who owns a pigsty, and he ends up working in the muck with the pigs. He becomes so hungry, he wants to eat the slop that the hogs are eating. I mean, this is, you know, for, for a, a Jewish boy in the first century, eating the slop of the pigs, this is like the worst imaginable case scenario. And this kid in this story says, I, I, I'm just going to go home to my dad, and I'm just going to ask him if I can be a slave for him. I, I can't return and be his son, but maybe I, can be, maybe I can be his slave. And he comes back to his father, and we know the story. It's beautiful. It's my favorite story in the Scripture that the father standing on the porch, he sees the son all the way out there in the field before he even gets close to the porch. Dad runs off the porch. He goes and he greets the son. He takes the ring off his finger, puts it on his son, throws the robe around him, puts his arm around him, says, let's kill the fatted calf and let's have a feast because that which was dead is now alive again. That which was lost is now found, right? 
So we know this story, and I think a lot of times we can identify ourselves as one of the two sons in the story. Some of us identify ourselves as the prodigal. We say, yeah, that's my life. I left and went out, and I was rebellious, and I fought, and I was crazy, and I did all of this stuff, and thank God he's brought me back, right? So we identify with him. Some of us identify with the older brother. The older brother was the one who said, look, man, I've been here the whole time. I've been steadfast. I've been faithful. I've done what I've been supposed to do. I followed the rules, you know, and like, man, I'm a little bummed out that you're killing the fatted calf for, you know, Mr. Crazy Pants over here when you never even killed a goat for me and my friends to have a feast, you know, and, you know, we relate to that one. And what God is saying in this passage is that, okay, sometimes you're the prodigal. Sometimes you're the faithful son, but what I'm calling you to do, men, is to become the father. I'm calling you to, to, to take the power that I've given you to start receiving these other young men in. To start reaching out to them. To be my hands and feet. To be open-armed with those who are struggling. To not judge them to not condemn them, but to bring them home and to teach them and to show them the way and to mentor them and guide them and disciple them and lead them to who they can become. See them as God's image. That's what we're called to be, men. That is what we're called to do. We're called to reach out to those who have gone a far way off and to bring them all the way home. I am so fortunate that I had a a father who loved God and loved our our family and, and, and was an amazing man. And, um, and, and it, you know, it, it's been a great benefit for me and a great blessing for me all my life. But it wasn't always certain that that was the way it was going to be because his dad was not headed down a path of the five immutable laws of, of manhood, according to our father. His father was, my grandfather, struggled when he was a young man. Um, and he lived a hard life as a young man. And he, he was somebody that, that was not pursuing God and was not trying to, to, to follow Christ with his life. Um, he graduated, got an eighth grade degree, um, and then he went to work for the Three C's, which was a, a government assistance program for, for families who were poor during the, um, the Depression. And, you know, he did odd jobs. He worked as a, as a mechanic. He was a boxer. He was, you know, and, and he was a rough guy when he was a young kid. But there was a man who sort of came into his life and began to mentor him and began to tell him there's a plan for your life and that you're made in the image of God and that God loves you and there is, there is a place for you. And slowly over time, my grandfather became a follower of Jesus and then he became a pastor and then he became a surrogate father to dozens if not hundreds of men throughout his lifetime, men who were struggling, men who were out there. God is calling us to be that. God is calling us to become the Father. God is calling us to reach out. We're going to roll out an initiative in the next few weeks, and I want to invite all of the men in the church to get involved with this. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to start pairing some of our men, our adult men, with some of our young guys, our teenage boys, and, and our younger men. Um, and we're going to have uh, a time together on Sunday morning under the direction of Tom Nelson. Tom, are you here? Okay, Tom Nelson, right back there. Tom is a, ner- a, a colonel in the Air Force, and he flies F-15 fighter jets. He's, um, he's, a, he's an awesome man. Um, and he is our setup team leader. We're going to get some of the adult men to connect with some of the boys and come together one Sunday a month 
8 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and you older guys are going to disciple and mentor these younger guys. You're going to teach them what it means to serve. You're going to teach them what it means to work. You're going to teach them what it means to, to serve uh, our congregation. You're going to help Tom. They're going to set up. It'll take 20 minutes to get set up, and then we're going to give you guys gift cards. You can take the guys down to Starbucks or whatever and have you know, a coffee or a hot chocolate and spend some time growing and developing these guys. Order a you know, mochaccino or whatever. We will not pull your man card if you order skim milk. It's okay, you know. But that's what we're going to roll out. We want to get all of you guys involved. If you are a, a, a mom here who has a, a son that doesn't have a father around, get out your connection card and write your name, give us your information, and write the word reach out on your connection card. If you're a man that says, hey, I'll do that. I'll, I'll, I'll come and mentor uh, or disciple one kid or two kids or two young guys one Sunday a month get out your connection card borrow a pen from the woman next to you and write down um, write down reach out on your connection card and at the end of service you can put those in the baskets we want to create an environment here at U City Family Church where we're actually making a real difference in the lives of the young men that God is bringing to us amen amen and finally we're coming to the very fifth and final immutable law of manhood, and that is, according to our Father, shine on. Shine on. Did you guys get a light? Did all you guys, all the men here get a light today when you came in? Everybody got one? All right, good, and we're getting some signals. Guys, pull your lights out. Pull your lights out of your pocket. Some of you guys need batteries, I know, but some of you don't. Um, shine on, what that means is let everything you do, let everything you think, let everywhere you go, let every interaction you have, let every idle word you speak shine the light of God's love into a darkened world. Greeters, would you, would you come forward with those baskets so if any guys didn't get uh, a light, they can get a light today. If the greeters would come with the, with the baskets to the very front. Guys, if you didn't get a light, I want you to grab a light. I want, to do, I want, to, I want us to do something here. Come right over here. And then, yeah, guys, raise your, raise your hand if you didn't get a light. Okay. You just walk down these aisles and give these, give these guys a light. These guys need a light right here. Got a light, buddy? All right. Um, Jesus said this. He said, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. So don't put your light under a basket. He said, let your light shine. He said, let your good deeds be seen before men so that it will shine light upon your Father in heaven and that men will come and women will come to honor God in heaven because of the light that you are shining. That's what he said. He said, shine on. He said, let your deeds be seen before others. If you want to know what your role is in life, your purpose is in life, it's to glorify God. It's to shine light on God in everything that you do. It's to shine the glory of, 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 of his light to everyone you meet. Guys, let's do, a, do me a favor. Everybody, all the guys that have a light, shine your light for just a minute. Just turn it on for a second. Look around, guys. Look around. Right? If one of us lights a light, we get a little pinprick of light. If all of us light the light, look what we can do, you guys. Look what happens when men come together, become a band of brothers. Come on, yeah. Mother Ray's going to clap for you. The prophet Micah says this, and I'm going to close. He said, God has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do this, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before 
our God. Tell him, go, you can come and pray for, uh, play for us. So, man, I want to close on this Father's Day by saying this. I praise God for you. You are a light in the darkness. You are strength in a weary world. You are hope in the midst of despair. You are God's men. You are God's sons. You are God's children. You are God's heirs. You are God's priests and God's kings. So do not be afraid. Do not be anxious. Because our Father loves you with an unconditional love. As the song says, this is who you are. He loves you with an unconditional love. This defines you. You are loved. You belong to Him and He belongs to you. So what would it look like? What would it look like if we, as a band of brothers following Jesus, committed to shine our lights in our homes, committed to shine our lights in our relationships, in our jobs, in our friendships, in our church, in our life groups, on our dream team, in the good times, in the bad times, in the mountaintops, in the valleys, when we experience marvelous victories and when we experience bitter defeats, what would the world look like if all of us committed to binding together under the authority of our Father to shine the light of His love and grace to everyone we meet? What would it look like if instead of defining our masculinity by the wavering standards of our culture, we defined it by the immutable laws of our Father? What would your world look like? What would my world look like? What would our world look like if we came together and all of us were willing to bow down before God, to stand up for what's right, to lean into wisdom, to reach out to those in need, and to shine on, and to shine on, and to shine on for His glory and His honor and His praise. In Jesus' name. Let me pray. Amen. Amen. Let's bow, let's bow our heads. God, on this day where we're honoring men and fathers, we just ask that your spirit would strengthen us. That like Joshua, we would be brave, we would be bold. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we would be committed, we would have courage, we would have conviction. We would stand up against those things that need to be defeated and we would stand for those things that need to be developed. That we would reach out to those in need, that we would fight against oppression and injustice and that we would lead not only our city but our state, our country, and our world towards the kingdom that you have described in your word. Let us become the vanguard. Let us become the leaders, Father, in bringing your hope, your light, your love to our world, your peace, your grace, and your mercy. Father, we give you all the praise, and we seek to follow you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.